I'm James Crepia, and he is Aaron Fentress, and you are listening to or watching the next edition and newest edition of the Ducks Confidential Podcast here for the Oregonian and Oregon Live. We are in game week, Aaron, so we have yes. made it through fall camp, uh, and it is you now finally camp. Congratulations. I want to give yes. you I, I know That's, how tough uh, it is. You know, every almost every day, so I give you a pause. It is day. part of it's it's you know, it's why they give us the big bucks. Uh so it's it's part and parcel to uh to preseason coverage, but it's now game week for the Ducks uh and for most all of college football, except for the about ten teams who played last week in week zero, UCLA being one of them, along with Hawaii, uh teams who are on uh, both Oregon and Oregon State schedules, uh, you know, at different times, respectively. So you got to see a little bit by way of Pac-12 action last week, but you get the right. full slate this week with week one. Ducks getting into their season on Saturday against Fresno State at 11 a.m. at Otson Stadium. So we'll take a look at this week's game and also delve into the depth chart. And I know uh, some of the personnel decisions will be uh, topics for fans this week, obviously leading into the game. And uh, we'll go into it a little bit here on this edition of the podcast as well. So, uh, Aaron, what were some that uh, stuck out to you? What were some that uh, interested you by way of the depth chart? Well, first thing, I, I saw some – I like to sort of monitor what the fans are chirping about on Twitter, and I saw a lot of people talking about kicker, which I thought was fascinating because usually mm-hmm. kicker is kind of an afterthought. But Camden Lewis last year was one for four, and he's being challenged by a former walk-on, uh, Henry Cate- – Cattleman. 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 Sorry. Cattle monster. Cattle monster. Yeah, cattle monster. Micah Pittman, I think, called him cattle monster or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, who's, you know, the fan favorite right now because he went four for four last year. But mm-hmm. Lewis is listed ahead of him right now. How tight is that competition? And, and sort of where do you think that's going? Well, the or designations on depth charts, I, I never get too caught up in who is ahead of who necessarily um, because yeah. unless it's specifically spelled out. You know, everybody's got a little bit of a different methodology with that. Some coaches, it is a, a sequence, even when it's listed as or. Uh, but like a perfect example of why not necessarily get caught up in that. Well, at running back, CJ Verdell and Travis Dyer listed as a slash. Well, they're not going to run out there with 21 personnel all of a sudden. I mean, it could happen, I suppose, but realistically, uh, they're not both starting simultaneously unless one's split out wide receiver. Uh, or they're implementing a new formation that we haven't quite seen yet. So <laughs> that's why I say I never get too caught up necessarily, but because there are some, some coaches will do it by numbers. Some will do it alphabetically. Some will do it by sequence of who actually is ahead of who. But the or designation, like I say, I never get too caught up one way or the other. Having said that, uh, I'm not, I don't want to say I'm not surprised. It was of everything on the depth chart to me yesterday. I thought that the kicker spot was the most surprising and we'll get to some others as well. Having said that for the reasons that you spell out, but having said that, I've never, I've never been one to believe in that, especially at the college level, that in a really small sample and in fairness to Camden Lewis, like last season was one for four. Obviously his kickoffs are not particularly strong in terms of touchback percentage. And you go back to 2019 and the number of kicks that he had, obviously he had the game winner against Washington State, that that wins you a football game. He didn't lose them games. He just had struggles, obviously. You know, there's no, no sugarcoating it. He caught on later in the season. He did better late in 19 than he did earlier in 19. He did poorly in a small sample last season. But we are talking about a small sample. I have never been one to believe that particularly at the college level, that a couple of missed kicks means eternal failure for a player. <laughs> right. Right. I've, ju- I've just never ascribed to that. It's, no, to me, it it's almost make, like – It doesn't make sense. No, to me, it's, it's almost yeah. like the equivalent of saying like a baseball pitcher who gets the yips and that, or, or a fielder for that matter who suddenly commits a few errors and has just a terrible week. Uh, and obviously in baseball, you're playing every day. And there are a couple of just terrible outings in a row. And now all of a sudden you're saying like, Oh, this guy's no good anymore. And you go, oh, come on. I mean, you know, are you actually seeing some things in practice? And by all accounts, from what we've heard between both the spring uh, and a fall camp was that this was a competition and that both kickers are doing well. And all the reports that we gotten, again, we hadn't seen every which practice and seen every in the practices that we, the portions of practice we see field goal kicking is not exactly at the top of the list of items that are either on our mind or may not even be happening while we're out there. You're not, you're not charting them. 
if they're going, if they're, uh, there's one point, this goes back like two years ago. At one point, if they were going while we were there, yeah, I would. I would chart who made what and of what distance. But greater man than my, than that I was not something that was front of mind here. And in the first fall, uh, fall scrimmage that we were at, yeah, they made their kicks, uh, both of them. So it really wasn't much to differentiate in the samples that we were able to see this fall. Having said that, getting back to your point, was it surprising? Somewhat, because I am a little bit of a believer in if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But how do you say, particularly top to bottom on a Mario Cristobal across the entire roster all the time for years now, it's meritocracy, it's competition, it's competition every day. You earn what you get on the field from what you do in practice and then in games. How do you take that position? And then if Camden Lewis is out there just nailing kicks all day, every day, not this is not knocking what Henry Cattleman might have been doing. How do you say to a player, hey, I know you're like 98, 99, 100% what you're doing every day. Ah, tough. <laughs> couple, yeah, like, yeah, like that just, you know, that you, you right. can't really do that. So I, I understand. Having said that, is this still an area that Oregon has to be, one, has to be consistent kicking? You know, I don't think you're necessarily worried. Look, if you're an Oregon fan, you don't want to be thinking about the kicker. Nobody wants to be thinking about the kicker. The problem Nobody. is Oregon fans have been thinking about kicker for a long time. For a long time. time. You know, I understand. Like a few years I, issue, I right? get it. But you'd never want to have to think about it. So you were thrilled that you had stability. You were thrilled that Cattleman was out there providing stability. Obviously, they made all their PATs, and Cattleman made the one at Cal that was from 40-some-odd yards out. He made it three times over. Uh, and would have made it from probably 50 yards out on a PAT, no less. So, yes, he has a strong leg. He has shown it. He has proven it. He's been consistent with it in a small sample. Here's one element I will say is further context. For all that Kahneman did last season, and it was great. I, again, the, the PAT was outrageous at Cal. He did it in empty buildings. Mm. And in terms of kicking on the road, that is a whole other ball game. Now, obviously, for this week one, hey, we'll see what happens. We'll see who gets trotted out there. We'll see who's handling kickoffs. It probably will be Camden Lewis, uh, at least on kickoffs. And then on place kicking, on PATs in general, and, and field goals if they take any. But to me, the road games is the bigger demarcation line potentially. Because, like I say, kicking in an empty building and making kicks, home or road last season, Sure. I'm not, and that's not knocking down anybody. Again, I'm sure there were kickers out there who stunk all over the place or who were great all over the place. Right. But this season is just going to it's just going to be playing different for packed everybody in the Pac-12, but particularly in the kicking game because you have buildings with with people back in them again. You know, kicking at a full Ohio Stadium is a little bit different than kicking at an empty Memorial Stadium in Berkeley. It just also, you you mentioned the game winner against Washington State. If I remember correctly, there was a I remember there was a lot of angst about that where people were like don't play for the field goal right do you remember that Am I right well they that? didn't have a choice but to play for it because time was against them and and they had the timeout i mean they, they had pass up taking some shots or, or being no, more they, aggressive no. they no? drove herbert drove down the field got to Jawan johnson a couple of times to get into field goal range and that was all they could that's that's it that's all they could do um that's, that's but, as far as they could get but okay regardless but nevertheless, with his general angst, because you you know you, yeah. you hadn't so seen a proven situation, and and at that point, already with a loss, the playoff is riding on the line at that particular juncture, and there was the back and forth only minutes earlier where Wazoo drove the field right. and took the lead. So it was a back and forth fourth quarter. Wazoo took the lead with like ninety seconds to go, and then obviously the game winning drive that was set up. There was angst the whole drive because, hey, this is relapse and redux of the season opener against Auburn. Hey, you had a shot at a drive. That was even less time. That was like no time at all. But nevertheless, um, you know, there's a, there was a kickoff return that set things up to at least get into field goal, uh, field goal, decent field position uh, to set up for a throw to the end zone. Okay. You hadn't seen the game winning drive. So the whole drive there's angst and then it's up. Oh, well, here comes the field goal and you don't know what's going to happen. And the playoffs riding on the line and everything else here. Is there angst in general because you want to see consistent field goal kicking? <laughs> that's every yeah, well, that's every college football fan base in America. You could have had the the Ray Guy Award winner. If you <laughs> lost them, you are absolutely terrified about kicking because that's just the way you know college kickers are. That's that's everywhere. 
Ask Alabama fans how they feel about kicking other than last year. Right. Well, my main that was a decade though, long. Is that, is that he nailed it. He won them a game, like you said, and that has yeah. to that has to stick in Mario's mind when you're looking at the totality of everything. Like you said, don't yeah. don't make too much of a bigger deal because he missed a couple last year yeah. in a you know weird season. Body of work. This guy has won a game, and for Mario, that that carries a lot of weight. Absolutely, body of work came through in a big moment, and again kicked well. Not after that as well. Kicked well, did well after that, you know. And as for as much as we talked about uh, things like kickoff and touchback percentage, you know, in the bowl game, a couple of kickoffs over there did better and fared better there than he did earlier in the season. Now, again, we're talking about really small samples here. It was it, last season was a mess of a season. It was half a season, and then when you have an even smaller sample because you split time in your role, it's really tiny. Right. You need a you need a greater sample size. Obviously, that's what they're seeing at practice. I would. I would hesitate to jump to any conclusions one way or the other, either that there's going to be a change and that if there is a change that it's not warranted or merited based on what Cam Lewis may be showing in practice. Right. Again, so you, you can't say a guy missed a couple of kicks a year ago, so therefore he can never make them ever again. I mean, that's, that's just ridiculous. I found the play-by-play. So they got to the 33 with 34 seconds left, then a big pass from Herbert to Johnson to the nine. They still had – time and they ran with cj to the six 14 seconds left so they, they could have taken a shot to the end zone i remember twitter was freaking out not that but twitter I matters th- but but they played think, it right i mean they played it correctly i don't know how many timeouts i mean i had le- i'm trying to remember now the game was almost two years ago right. um, yeah Again, but I'm not how many they timeouts they would have had left but i'm not saying they made a bad decision i'm just saying fans were like go for the end zone go for the end zone i remember thinking no you played for the field goal here unless you absolutely don't trust him clearly mario trusted him and he came through yeah. and that that says a lot about Mario's belief in him that he didn't say, okay, Herbert, win this with a touchdown pass, even if we have timeout issues and clocks running because I don't trust the kicker. He went with his kicker and he made a 26-yarder and became a hero. <laughs> yeah, got carried off, and that's the way it's you know, that's the way it's supposed to go. So, again, you never want to have to think about in those terms. I realize that, you know, here we are spending this much time talking about the kicking position, you know, <laughs> on August 31st. But nevertheless, that's – I get it because, again, this was not a – absolutely surefire position in the first place. And for the fans who, you know, it caused a general degree of angst, I think we gave you a pretty good uh, <laughs> summation of where things may stand. But uh, the nevertheless, summation. Okay, they, are, they are the kickers. So. They are the kickers, yeah. Okay, next up. This is a pretty interesting situation. Wide receiver X, Troy Franklin, true freshman, came in early. I think he was in January, so he was there for all spring mm-hmm. and all the offseason stuff, is the starter right now. Ahead of Devin Williams, who obviously was a little bit up and down last season, but seemed to be the front runner to start there this year. But mm-hmm. Mario said, hey, you know, he's had some setbacks, had some injury situations. He's still going to be a major part of things moving forward and could still obviously earn a bigger role as we go. How do you sort of see how that played out? And what do you think the relationship is depth wise between Franklin and Devin in terms of is Devin like going to have to do a lot to catch Franklin? Is Franklin that good? Or is this going to be something that goes back and forth or they're just going to rotate? because they're both really good. Well, all three freshmen are that good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you all, love the freshman all, receivers. All three, that clear. all three freshmen are that good. They are the future of the position, not just because they're freshmen and therefore they're going to be around for a minute. No, they're the future of the position. And I think I even said it here before on either the last yeah, edition yeah. or the two editions ago of the podcast saying, uh, it, the question is, is the future, when does the, is, does the future and the present, do they intersect? Right. Uh, and, and do they supersede and surpass what is the present? That was to me and is to me still the question uh, for the remainder of the season. Because, yes, Troy Franklin getting the starting job at X, was that a surprise? No. One, overall skill and ability. And was, as you mentioned, an early enrollee. So was uh, Dante Thornton, who is uh, listed as a backup at the Z. So I knew that they would be no, both of them would be no worse than the backup roles. I mean, there was no, there was simply no way. There was no way on the depth chart that was going to be the case. So having said that, when the floor is backup, there's only one direction to go. And given that Devin Williams had been dealing with some limitations and injury issues here during fall camp, that was basically it. That, you know, that's not to say that, you know, Troy didn't do enough to surpass him regardless. He very well might have. Because he was listed as duck of the day a couple of times, both on offense and on special teams during the course of fall camp. You know, him and Dante Thornton again, both were here in the spring, both did well in the spring. Thornton had the late touchdown. Uh, Franklin had 
led the team in uh, catches and receiving yards during the spring game. Now, call it for what it is. Hey, it's a spring game. Yeah, they were with the twos against the twos and all. Yeah, I get it. And the twos for the defense is really the threes in terms of the defensive backs. I get it. But then they backed it up in the fall. And when they got time with the ones, they went out there and made plays. So I think it's going to be interesting to see not just Troy Franklin at the X while Devin Williams works his way back. And again, they're going to be in the rotation at the receiver yeah. position. You're not a hundred percent reps. I mean, that just doesn't happen. Uh, even if Devin Williams were the starter, Troy Franklin was getting on the field. Uh, yeah. So same thing is going to be at the Z position. Giant Johnson, the third is going to be at the Z position. Dante Thornton's going to get on the field. Uh, it's not, it's not a hundred percent of the time. So having said all that, uh, I, no, I wasn't terribly surprised by the fact that he started. I had said to somebody during fall camp, I said, Here's the question, basically, in terms of the receiving cores, not just as we've laid out here. I said, hey, is this loyalty to experience because of what John Johnson III, what Jalen Red have bring to the table by way of being the super seniors, two of the seven super seniors on the team, the only two who have been with the program the whole time? And that comes with a slight asterisk caveat for Cam McCormick because he's not Technically speaking, a super senior, though he actually has been around longer than either of those two, but because he has additional eligibility, he's not in the, the group of super seniors. Uh, so do you give loyalty to the veteran leadership and the experience? Or do you give loyalty sheerly on talent and ability? And obviously what they bring to the field in practice, what they have to show. I mean, it's, you don't just go, you know, based on what your, what your star ranking was and, uh, as a recruit. And clearly, these young guys are showing quite a bit, Troy being one of them. And we'll see as the season goes on. I'm not giving away anybody's jobs. I'm not saying, you know, I'm not guaranteeing anybody's going to go shooting past or, or dropping behind anybody. But I was not the least bit surprised that Troy Franklin ended up getting the starting job because of what he had done and because of, like I say, mainly, you know, also the limitations to Devin Williams uh, just in terms of fall camp. Can he work his way back? Yeah. I mean, look, you saw him. Devin was a player who you saw it in such a small spurt last season. You know, it, this is not exactly analogous, but it kind of goes to almost the similar situation of what we're talking about with kicker a second ago. All right, the beginning of the season, the first game, maybe even two, but definitely first game and a half. He did better at Wazoo, but took him a minute to come on. You know, got a catch at Wazoo, helped out blocking for Jalen Red, getting him closer to the end zone on an end around. All right. So he showed some physicality, showed some physicality in the blocking and in ca- uh, catching over the middle, taking a hit. Then did really well against UCLA. You saw a little bit, I think, with Oregon State. Then got hurt, missed the Cal game, didn't play uh, in the Pac-12 title game, and basically was a non-factor in the second half of the season. So if you want to go on small sample size, you know, jump to conclusions. Well, for a couple of games, he was terrific and he was leading them and took over the team lead and was far and away the leading receiver and a number one weapon. It wasn't even close. Right. And then, you know, he got dinged up and, and he fell off traumatically. And you go, well, does that mean he's not any good anymore? No, it means he, he got hurt. <laughs> something happened. All right. right. Well, he probably – uh, was on his way to being in a pretty good position to hold on to a starting job, got hurt, and uh, has to work his way back into that role. Do I still think he's going to be a contributor? Like Mario said yesterday, still has an opportunity to work back into that opportunity and, and those reps and everything. Yeah, and they expect it, and they need him to, frankly. You know, you, you're not going to go out there and win as a team if you only got two or three receivers. You do need guys to play roles who are the four, the five, the six in the receiving core. Absolutely. And the last time the Ducks were pretty deep at receiver was several years ago. And they spread that was Mariota era, really. I mean, kind of think about it. And they spread the ball around to a lot of different people. Like, you know, the start, like you said, the starting three doesn't mean the other three aren't their backups aren't going to play a lot, especially if the passing game is successful. That's what I want to see. Like if they're successful throwing the ball, you want guys out there fresh, blowing the top off the defense, making defenses you know, freak out because, oh, my God, these guys are coming from all sorts of different directions, and you, you hope there's enough balls to go around. What I don't want to see, though, is someone like Giant Johnson fall off too much to the point where you say, okay, he's a senior, he came back. Is it, is it hurting his stock? And I know that's not Mario's concern overall, but I do believe that Their job is to do one thing, win uh, football games. True, but no one can convince me that Giant Johnson is not going to help him do that. Now, I do believe that if there's a guy pushing him, 
that there's a way to share is what I'm saying. I don't think we're going to see Johnny Johnson disappear. No, and I don't think you think that either. Yeah, no, but the job is to win football games. And I think that the pro potential for the freshmen uh, and for some other players as well, but for the freshmen in particular is extraordinarily high, extraordinarily high. And frankly is higher than for the seniors at the moment. Could it change? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, if you ask about draft stock of players, you know, look before, go back the last two years on who won the Heisman and what their draft stock was going into the season. Neither one of them was a first round pick and Joe Burrow, forget about number one overall for Burrow. So things can change and change in a hurry. But right now I would say that the draft stock for Oregon's freshman receivers way down the road, obviously is significantly higher. Uh, and even a couple other players, for instance, I, I had heard through the grapevine of guys who deal with, uh, uh, you know, early draft prognostications and draft scouts and, and people who operate in that world, uh, that Johnny at the moment is a priority free agent, seventh round grade right now. Right. You know, that doesn't, now again, doesn't mean he can't improve it. Doesn't mean he can't jump up. Doesn't mean he can't, you know, you can't help a team, you know, for any number of reasons, you could get that kind of a grade. Look, Jamar Jefferson last year was borderline Mr. Irrelevant in the NFL draft. Was he Mr. Relevant to the Oregon State Beavers? No. <laughs> 100%. No. So right. you can be a terrific college player and just not necessarily have the pro prospects to necessarily match it and vice versa. Right. So you, you mentioned it very briefly, but slot, you have red now listed as an or slightly behind Pittman, whether we that matters or not. Mm-hmm. Pittman's someone who clearly was a very highly recruited kid a couple of years ago, starting to maybe make his move. Red, you know, a super senior um, who came back after last year's COVID season, who hasn't been 100%. How do you see that situation shaking out? Again, it's, it sounds like it's just a situation where they're both going to play. It doesn't really matter who's listed atop the depth chart. No, and and Mike is able to move around to any of the positions. Um, I, I think right. that so much of this has to do with Again, you knew that you had four, your lead four, well, your entire receiving core, really, but the lead four receivers back. And you start there. We mentioned Devin Williams before, Johnny, Mike, and Jalen. When they are in base 11 personnel, there are three receivers out there. Well, you had four lead guys for three spots. And last year, you basically never had all four of them available simultaneously at peak operating condition right you know mike was in and out devin was in and out johnny i think was the only one who was actually on the field and in games on a regular basis uh jalen may have been also to be honest but yeah i think yeah jalen may have been so bottom line like you had those two but then one's here one's that here what and you never had all four at once but you got them for three spots so somewhere along the way some one of the spots was moving around uh, and Micah Pittman has been in that capacity uh, for the better part already of his two seasons. Jalen is the slot guy in terms of, you know, his more designated role, his more natural role. Johnny's bounced around. You know, he's been the X receiver before, uh, you know, go back to 2019. Starting off the year, uh, you know, Jawan Johnson eventually took over that role. That's what he was supposed to do. But when Jawan was out, Johnny filled in in that capacity. You know, that was you know, quite honestly, his most natural position is probably the Z. Probably. Uh, Franklin is going to be a guy whose natural position is the X. He had actually, ironically enough, started the Z in the spring. Uh, be that as it may, Mike and Red, they can both play the slot. It's Red's more natural position. Micah can play the Z. He can play the F, the H, whatever we're, we're calling the slot in a given formation and personnel grouping because there's, right. there's just different ways you can list it. I mean, you can right. technically the tight ends are listed as either the Y or the H, but if the second tight end isn't out there and it's three wide or four wide or what have you. So anyway, uh, again, I would not make much out of the, the co-starter thing because you already knew that before you even brought the freshman into the equation, you had four lead returning guys for three spots and there was going to be a rotation. And then you add the three freshmen, particularly the two mid-year guys. And now it's just going to be a regular rotation of guys uh, throughout the course of a game. So I, I wouldn't make much of that. I, I don't, and I don't think who starts in any given week is 
that could be simply has the most catches, right? <laughs> you get no, started with two catches, backup comes in and gets five catches. It's just exactly. It, it, the, the bottom line is they have a ton of depth. They have a ton of young guys coming up who represent more talent than they've had that position in a long time. There's not one. I think Juwan Johnson is the only former Duck receiver in the NFL right now, and he's playing tight end, tight end. for the Saints. You have to go back, I think, to Josh Huff, who was a third-round pick. I mean, Mitchell was a seventh-round pick but never really played. I mean, this is a program that has not produced NFL wide receivers almost at all. I mean, I think you have to go back to Huff, and then before that, Demetrius Williams was a fourth-round pick in 06, I think, who hung around for a little while. So, mm-hmm. But it sounds like that in the next, we'll say, they're freshmen now, so 2025 on, they could have four, five, six guys drafted in a three-year three run. They could certainly have quite a number, I think. Yeah. Right now, in terms of the draft-eligible players after this season, I and again, this doesn't mean he leaves. This is just draft-eligible. That's a big, right. big asterisk to that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think Pittman has the highest ceiling of the draft-eligible receivers. That does not mean I think he's leaving. No, I have. He has played. He has played as many games as he's missed through right. two years. Exactly. And I don't think you can go into the NFL on just talent and, and ability alone. I think you actually have to show. And that's not a knock to Micah. He had no. it because what happened? He broke his collarbone. He broke his forearm. Uh, contact tracing. Any number of things happen along the way. That's not knocking him. You know, he's missed time because of just happenstance and bad luck. Yeah. But when he's been out there, he's caught pretty much every single game he's been in, he's had a reception. Uh, other than I think it was just the one with the Oregon State game last year where he technically played, but that was such a it was it was so silly just in that I mean he really didn't. I mean he really right. didn't. So like I say, when he's on the field, he can be unbelievably explosive. That's why I see his potential is really, really, really high. But he hasn't shown it over the course of a full regular season. If he's able to do yeah. it this year, if you ask me who has the best chance of being a thousand yard receiver for Oregon, I'd say if I had to put odds to it, I'd say Micah and probably Troy Franklin are at the top of the list. And it's because of the position that Troy plays is at the X is the bona fide designated stretch the field vertical receiver on any offense and right. Micah because of uh, ability as well. So I would say that those two have the best chance of being thousand yard receivers, which is also something that this team has not had. This program has not had a ton of uh, over the course of history. So True. yeah, I mean, if they're, Starting with starting with Pittman, and obviously all really starting with the seniors, starting with Johnny and Jalen. But looking ahead to the future, yeah, the receiver position is quite bright. And then you get into recruiting and what they got lined up to come in here, and yeah, they've they've got quite a talent influx coming in at the receiver position, which was needed. It needed to be overall yeah, in a big way. Let's take a quick break and come back and hear more with James Crepia and Aaron Ventress. This is Ducks Confidential podcast from the Oregonian and Oregon Live. Let's move on to one of the more interesting positions, uh, corner replacing Diamonor Lenore. You've got Bridges listed as an oar with the five-star recruit Dante Manning. Uh, Bridges, six foot three, came in as a safety, correct? If I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken, big corner. Yep. Uh, Pete Carroll would love him. Figure Pete Carroll's going to draft him in a few years. <laughs> uh, how do you see that situation? Again, same thing. They're both going to play. The or doesn't matter. They're just going to battle it out all season and see where things shake up. Well, they're going to battle it for this week. Uh, we'll see about all <laughs> okay. season. We're going to see about all season. Well, DJ James sure. is going to get back on the field That's eventually. DJ James, eventually. Yeah. I don't know if it'll be for next and you, week. And you think when he comes back, he's the guy you think? Or I think that he has to work his way back in right. because you miss all the fall camp. Exactly. There, you know, you don't just come right back instantaneously. You know, for nothing else, and there's a week long acclimation period uh, involved. Right. So for him and and Jamal Hill, so that's a process uh, that'll play out. But do I think that he eventually works his way over time? Yes. But will they compete for the starting job on Saturday? Yeah. Will they both play significantly on Saturday? Yeah. And 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 I think they were both going to play significantly all season, regardless. Right. And they, again, these are guys who were bound to be no worse than the backups at their respective spots. 
and there's only now they're competing for starting there, as you said. Oh. Yeah. I mean, realistically, because of the influx, because of that position was one where there's an influx of freshmen as well. In terms of for a th- one of the third year freshmen, Triquest Bridges, and for a really, really highly touted uh, recruit like Manning, who just dealt with a hamstring injury that knocked them out all of last season. But when you're going on the abilities there, and again, we're not, not, not saying that the freshmen aren't talented as well. There's a reason why they're on the two deep. Uh, part of it is the availability and who's, who's, there to fill out the two deep. And the other part is, is yeah, but they've got the skill and the ability to play and receiver and corner are two of the positions on anybody's depth chart anywhere in college football, where it is the easiest to play early in your career. You're further away from the football. Decision-making is not necessarily uh, something that is something that can crush you on any given play. If it goes against you necessarily, you know, you can cover up a lot of things uh, in terms of the learning curve for freshmen at those positions. Uh, so, yeah, I think that they're going to compete all week. I don't think who starts is of massive uh, importance necessarily because I think they're both going to play a significant amount. And then we see what happens. I, I think there's a chance it could be situational. You mentioned the size disparity between them. I think Bridges could be a red zone guy and – not saying that Manning will play everything before the 20, but I think they could split time before that. And then depending on who they get matched up with when they get inside the red zone and hope, and again, if you're a Ducks fan, you hope that they're not defending the red zone too much, <laughs> but be that as it may, if it comes up, you know, it'd be, uh, seems rather foolish to me, uh, you know, just in terms of, you know, they taught the, the coaches have acknowledged, Hey, he's six, three, you get certain matchups, you get certain end zone, you know, back end zone, back shoulder fades, all those kinds of things down the red zone in a short field. Having a guy six three with a seven foot two wingspan out there seems pretty advantageous. Seven so, two? Yeah. Damn. Okay. Yeah. I didn't I didn't know that tidbit. Yeah. NBA scouts would love that. He's uh <laughs> quite long. He's yes, he's uh he's got a unbelievable wingspan uh horizontally and uh yeah, and at six three vertically uh for a corner. Yeah, that's that's just hard to find. You can't teach that. So he's lead the team and passes defended. If as long as he gets out there enough to do it, he's going to have not probably ample opportunity starting on Saturday. Because the guess what, Fresno State's going to have to throw at somebody, and they're not stupid. Just like opposing defenses didn't throw at the Amador Lenore a whole lot last season, and they picked on Michael Wright a little bit early on. Mm-hmm. Well, now Michael Wright is the experienced guy and the preseason All Conference guy coming into the year, and these two haven't played as a starting capacity manning is basically not played almost at all uh in college football they're gonna have to pick on somebody and no matter how they were ranked as recruits no matter how talented they are the opposing offense has to put the ball in the air in some direction so they will probably have ample opportunity to defend some passes on yeah and guess what it has to start there because the next week you've got the best opposing wide receiving core in the country so you better learn quick because the following week is baptism by fire. <laughs> All right, linebacker. A lot of talk about Justin Flo, clearly one of the biggest recruits in the history of the program. Everyone's seen the photo of him flexing, you know, on the sideline last year or during practice, I should say. People are dying to see him get out there and play more often. But he's in an or situation with Drew Mathis, a senior. Again, another situation where, the or doesn't mean all that much. Clearly, Flo is going to play regardless of how things work out. Yeah. They they obviously like Mathis. He's a senior. Clearly, I'm sure he's a master of the defense, knows what he's doing, et cetera, et cetera. You have a pretty great situation there. I would say, do you think that Mathis and Flo will remain in a sort of juggling situation? Or do you think Flo is so talented that eventually he might just take over that position? I think over time, Flo gets it, whether he gets it from snap one, game one on Saturday yeah. You know, look, go back to last year. Who started at middle linebacker? Mathis. Who 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 led the team in tackles? Noah Sewell. So ultimately, I think over time, Justin Flo will obviously be at that position and will be there for the mainstay uh, and the lion's share of the reps over the course of the season in terms of starting for game one. Do I think Drew Mathis, between his, as you mentioned, his acumen and experience in the defense? And when he's played, he's played well. 
It's not as it's not as always he embarrasses himself out there. Right. You know, again, he, he's done pretty well when he's played. Uh, and commendable for him to have done as frankly as well as he's had, uh, and the opportunities he's had. So I guess I wouldn't make much of it. Uh, you know, last year, frankly, you know, everybody gets to talk when you bring up like Noah Sold, everybody's goes like, well, he started every game last season. You go, I know the season was short and I know it was kind of messed up, but he didn't start every game last season. Right. He didn't start the opener. And no, it's not that big a deal because he's on the field like instantaneously and made a whole bunch of plays. But point is, is, that just shows you how much starting or not starting really even necessarily matters. Right. Um, you know, when, when you're talking about especially a freshman or in the case of Flo, all right, a second year freshman who barely got a chance to play last year because he did get hurt in that opener. All right. You know, yeah, you'll see him. You'll see him a whole bunch. And if he delivers any, any of the hits on sa- starting on Saturday, like he has during the course of the spring and fall camp. I mean, there were some of the spring game where he absolutely leveled guys. Some in the first fall scrimmage where he's leveled guys. And these two inside linebackers are just vicious. Both of them uh, can really, really lay the lumber. And, yeah, I, I think it could certainly start on Saturday. And like I said, that doesn't mean that any of the other guys who are going to work in there in the rotation uh, right. aren't capable either. But clearly, the two former five stars and top-ranked inside linebackers in the country, they're there for a reason. All right, last but not least. Brown is a starter at QB, as was mm-hmm. expected. Then you got triple oars <laughs> behind him with uh, Thompson Butterfield and uh, uh, Robbie Ashford. Uh, someone asked Mario yesterday, yeah, yesterday uh, about you know maybe getting some time for those guys to see what happened. He wouldn't mm-hmm. go there because, of course, playing the backup, experimenting with your freshman QBs means you're blowing somebody out. Mm-hmm. Would, would be the implication he didn't want to do that, which I, I respect that. Uh, but clearly, mm-hmm. if you know you're an Oregon fan. You want to see at least Ty Thompson out there throwing. You've heard so much about this kid, one of the top, but actually he is the single top rated, highest rated QB Oregon's ever recruited. Uh, and you've, he's basically the front runner for the backup job right now. You want to see him play. Do you expect one, a blowout? I think we both kind of do. And two, that Thompson will get out there and show his wares and maybe pull away from the other two guys. Or do you think this is just going to be something they sort of juggle all season until the, S hits the fan, meaning it's good because to me, it seems like you can just mess around with the oars all you want while Brown is the guy. But if Brown were to get injured, then you have to make a decision. And that's when the, the truth probably would come out in terms of who is truly the backup. Or do you think there already is one? I think they'll compete for it this week and we'll see what happens in terms of a declaration uh, in terms of the game on Saturday. And we'll obviously get into it a little bit more here in a minute. Uh, I don't know if it'll be a, how how lopsided it'll be. I do think Oregon wins and I do think they win pretty comfortably, but I don't know if but you know, maybe not enough to give Thompson 10 attempts <laughs> or, or anybody, whoever, whoever's, right. you know, if, if they end up getting a second quarterback out there and I say, if, because I don't think it's a foregone conclusion. I don't think even if you get up multiple scores, if they're up two scores and add a third late, you're not going to have a backup out there with a two score game. You're just not. So I don't take it as a foregone conclusion uh, that it ends up happening, uh, especially before uh, the Ohio State game. And another element to this, you know, that I know I have fa- fans who want to hit fans. Well, yeah, I mean, what can I say? That that will be a runaway in a hurry. <laughs> uh, I mean, they could march out with their scout team, quite honestly. But be as you may. I'm from Long Island. I can say that. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're a little bit ahead of, you know, yes. <laughs> Yeah, most people have no idea where Stony Brook is. I, um, I have no clue. Right. So uh <laughs> I I don't think a quarterback that you try to create I don't think you go about trying to create controversy. I think that I, I just think that's incredibly unfair. Yeah. At that position more than anywhere else. But I don't think you do that. I I I just don't believe in that. I'm not telling you that that's what Mario believes or anything or, or whatever, but you know, if they're up by 35 and somebody gets in the game, that's one thing. Now, having said that, somebody gets in in a five possession game and goes four for four for a hundred yards because someone breaks it, you know, gets a ton of <laughs> yards after catch. That doesn't mean that that guy is now the infinitely more efficient quarterback. It means that they threw against the third team. Right. You have to keep a little bit of relativity. So, I don't think that, like I say, if it's a two-score game, even a three-score game, 
that that's necessarily carte blanche to now just invite how many backups out there. I mean, the case in point, how often did you see Tyler Shuck in the 2019 season? And when you did, how many times did you see him pass? He only had, he threw what, 10 passes against Nevada? I think something like that. Through a handful, and, that and was ultimately, like a 60 to seven game or something. Yeah, and ultimately, it was a lot of handoffs. Yeah, you know, in 2019, he was 12 of 15 on the season. Yeah, most of that was against Nevada. Yeah, it was eight of nine. Of eight of nine was against Nevada. Yeah, he got out there against Montana and then just handed the ball off. So, point is, is if it's a runaway, don't take it as an assumption that, oh, well now, you know, because the other part of being in a runaway is you don't trot your backup quarterback out there to throw on the opponent. One, there's no need. It's totally unnecessary and bad sportsmanship. And on two, down, though, why are you down, on third? That's down, you different. Can throw it. Okay. You can, you can, right. if you're up comfortably, quite frankly, you throw, you can, run the ball, run the ball and get, and, and melt the clock hitches. and let's, let's get throw. it going. Uh, you know, I the stands are emptying. It's 35 plus points. Let's keep this show. Uh, I'm, I'm getting them out there and throwing hitches, slants, and curls. I'm not trying to uh, rub it in, but I'm giving them well, some. Rest. Aaron definitely works for a uh, television network and wants to make sure that the uh, <laughs> commercial inventory gets taken <laughs> care of. But the rest of us, 100%. the rest of us would like the day to keep moving. They, they'd like to, you know, let's, let's go. Yeah. So okay. I, I, I make no proclamations about backups of any position getting in. Uh, particularly quarterback on Saturday. And I, again, I, I don't think that you go to turn to and create controversy at the quarterback position. Oh, it's I, not creating controversy. The controversy will end the moment the second string comes out because that's the second string. That ends the or right there. It's like whoever they put out there is the second string quarterback for sure. And I think it's Thompson. I think you think so too. If you had to put your money on it, if we had to wager right now, who would you put your money on? It's Thompson. I, uh, I don't know if it's Thompson or Butterfield. No? I think it's one or the other. I, you know, I think it's one or the other. That's the reason why I projected it as one or the other, and I think it's one or the other. Okay. I wouldn't be surprised either way. I would not be surprised either way. Just being honest, if if Butterfield goes out there, we've seen him go out there first a whole bunch. Thompson went out there. He did really well in the fall, did good in the spring game, and had a terrific first fall scrimmage. They're both really talented, and and that's not knocking Robbie Ashford either. It's just Mm -hmm. I I think those two have created a little bit of separation in that regard. uh, No matter what the Oregon step chart says, and I wouldn't be surprised if either one of them is the, the backup quarterback, whether that's officially announced, whether you see that on Saturday or not. Fair enough. Okay. Let's move on to the game at hand. I think this is the perfect tune-up game for Ohio, for Ohio State. It's a game, one, you should win, but they're not chumps. Like, they're not passies. It's not, this is not a team that's, that's gonna, that you just know you're going to instantly destroy. They're going to come out and play hard. They're going to be feisty. They're, they, Fresno State always plays tough. They're going to play like they think they can win. Um, mm-hmm. Even the 2012 game, the last time they played them in Oregon, uh, I think it was the second game of the season after Oregon had destroyed Arkansas State. I think it was 42-25. That was Mariota's first year as a starter. Fresno came in and played a really tough game. They were never going to win it, but it was it was dicey going into the fourth quarter even. So to me, this is the type of team you want to play first. You can play a lot of guys. You can do a lot of things, and you know the other teams are going to at least play tough and physical and help you prepare. Much better tune-up game than a Montana or a Nevada like they were a couple of years ago. What do you think of the matchup, just from the big picture of you before we break down offense, defense? Yeah, I, I think you hit on a lot of it. I think Fresno State is, uh, one, they've historically been a talented team and a well-coached team. Uh, and I think that in Kalen DeBoer's second season, that while the outside expectations going into the year, I think they're picked to finish fourth in the division uh, and they very well still could, but that also doesn't mean that they're going to be like a losing team or something. Uh, right. For one, they have a pretty good amount of transfers from the PAC 12, from junior colleges for, uh, and accomplished players who are coming in using, utilizing that super senior season to basically work their way up whether it be from junior colleges or FCS, whatever the case is, they have a lot of really experienced players. And when you combine what we're talking about a quarterback with Jake Hayner, former Washington quarterback, uh, their lead receiver, uh, Cropper, very talented. Ronnie Rivers, probably the best back in the Mountain West, uh, and frankly would play for a good number of Pac-12 teams. Not telling you to be the number one back in the league. Not telling you to be the number one back for Oregon. But he'd find a way on the depth chart. 
Uh, you know, he's, he's, he ain't bad. That's for sure. Um, he's, <laughs> he's going to rack up a whole bunch of numbers and he basically holds damn near every rushing record in that program's history, uh, career rushing record. That is so no, they've got a lot of talent there. Uh, they got, uh, they were third in the nation in sacks per game last season against small sample, but nevertheless. So they've got talent at skill positions. Uh, they've got experience at a lot of positions. They create disruption on defense. In terms of opening opponents and Mountain West opponents is, and Group of Five opponents in general, this is legit. It's yeah. a legit game. It's not going. Right. You know, the, the line is twenty and a half. It's not forty. Right. Know, it's, <laughs> exactly. You know, you're, you're, yes, Oregon's a top fifteen team. They should win. They should win comfortably. They're at home. All those. Yes, yes, and a million times yes. Fresno State is still not a pincushion. Right. Ooh, pincushion. I like that. So they were three and three last year. They returned. Uh, Mario said 20 of 22 starters. I mm-hmm. take his word for it. I'm yep. counting them. Yep. Tons of seniors on their depth chart. Um, you mentioned the, the running back, uh, Ronnie Rivers, 5'9, 195, kind of smallish type back, sort of like a, a die. Uh, averaged 85 yards per game last season, caught 265 yards worth of receiving yards, rushed for 61 last week against the Huskies in a blowout. Now the Huskies, UConn, they didn't play at all last year is my understanding. Like they, nope. I think they set out the entire season. So that was their first game action since 2019. So mm-hmm. the fact that, 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 and it looked like it. Out for, yeah, they, they blew them out 42 zero. I think it was to be expected. That was a pincushion game. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you mentioned the QB had 331, three TDs against UConn last year, averaged 336 per game, 14 touchdowns, five picks, 65% completion rate. So this guy's no joke. If Oregon secondary, you know, they're a little green back there. They're going to be tested. I think. More by Ohio State, but this is a good tune-up for that. Jalen Cooper averaged 87 yards a game last year, scored five touchdowns. That was just in six games. So, yeah, there's some threats there on offense. Again, nothing to where you wouldn't think that talent-wise, and we've talked about the talent level Oregon's put together on defense with all these five- and four-star kids, especially in the front seven. This is nothing that that front seven shouldn't be able to handle. But if they don't come to play, if they make mistakes, this team will put up some yards and they will put up some points which is what Vegas expects, which is why it's only a 20 and a half point spread, as you said. Yeah, look, again, an experienced team, they're going to capitalize on errors. Yeah. You know, it'd be one thing if you're taking over, uh, you know, a Mountain West team and it's a big rebuild and, uh, oh gosh, you know, you got a whole bunch of uh, uh, freshmen or, or se- you know, the second and third year freshman transfers who had to come in. And all these transfers that came in are a bunch of older guys. And again, you right. talk about the returning players. Yeah, 20 of 22 starters and then added guys via the portal out of those realms. So, uh, real, again, talented, really legitimately talented. And I'm not telling you that it's going to go out there and going to be down to the wire game, but it's still a matter of saying like, yeah, but you, you can res- legitimately respect this opponent. Yeah. And sometimes, like point spread thing, I think sometimes people see a 20-point spread and think, ah, they're going to blow them out. But the spread is based on the team that's trying to get an even money. It's trying to get even money. It's not trying to be predictive of anything. Well, no, I understand that. But I'm saying that sometimes people frame it as, oh, they shouldn't have any problem. They could just show up. No, the point spread is based on the idea that Oregon is going to play well. So if Oregon doesn't play well, that 20 points suddenly becomes – 13 or 10 and then you know anything can happen so that's why this thing is a great opponent for them out, out the gate because we're gonna we're gonna learn a lot about this team if they come out and they roll right through this team if they win 55 to 17 that's a huge positive that okay this team could be really legit heading into yeah. Ohio state if they win 40 30 you're kind of like well i mean it was a good opponent but uh that doesn't necessarily bode well moving forward. Okay, let's move to the defense. They allowed 30 points per game last season. And I think that's one of the things where you say, okay, you know, again, they returned a lot of starters, but their defense wasn't great. They did get a lot of sacks, as you said, but Oregon's whole line is pretty good. Uh, they, they allowed teams to rush for 5.2 yards per carry, 212 yards rushing per game. Um, so, yeah, this to me is a team that I, I want to see this offense. One, I've talked about the run game before. I want to see the run game become more dominant than it ever has been in the Mario era. And two, Ken Brown put up, big numbers. We haven't seen it yet because he hasn't played that much for Oregon. So if that team was given up that much last year, to me, you want to see Oregon get into the 40s and rush for 250 and maybe Brown throws for 250 before he leaves the game, in my opinion. All fair points. Uh, I'm going to be relatively brief, only in that my battery is about to die here again. So uh, I'm not going to go at length. You got to charge your laptop, man. Come on. I, I did. We've gone for 50 minutes. So, you know, it's uh, it's, it's not built for forever. Uh, an old one uh, is what I've got. So, no, I mean, all, all fair points. Look, again, I, I think you want to see a pretty dominant performance. 
you know, in terms of actual yard numbers and everything, I, I mean, if you want prop bets, we can come up with all kinds of lines on any number of individual stats. To me, I think you want to see a dominant performance if you're a Ducks fan because they do go to Ohio State the following week. And obviously, again, yeah, that test is going to be substantially more difficult, uh, yeah. suffice to say. So, okay. again, in terms of actual hard numbers, I, I, yeah, you can come up with any number of combinations. Okay. So, since your battery is dying, first of all, so fans know, you can watch Ohio State Thursday against uh, Minnesota. I think that's on mm-hmm. ESPN. Let's get our game predictions for the Fresno State I game. believe Fox, but be that as it may. Is yeah. it Fox? Right. You can find it. You can find yeah, it. Yeah, you can find it. Okay. So, give me your prediction for Fresno State, Oregon. Uh, earlier in the week, I picked it as, I believe, uh, 38 to 14. And I realized that's kind of almost straddling the, the line. It's it's basically saying they'll cover narrowly. I have a feeling I'm probably going to end up sticking more or less around there, 38 to 14, 35 to 14, right around there. Okay. I'm going to go 44-24 only because I think that the passing game is going to make some plays. And I do think they get they tack on a touchdown late probably after they're you know maybe down 44-17. They get a cheap touchdown late. Uh, I do think it's going to be a fascinating matchup just from the standpoint of really – Last year was just such a bizarre year, right? That's like you said it's numerous times. It's just really hard to know what to extract from that, right? Mm-hmm. And so the last time we've seen this team at full strength doing its thing was 2019, and that team is pretty much almost all gone. So this really is just really a learning game to really see these guys play together in a true football setting for the first time since – I think since 2019, that's you just want to wipe away the COVID year. So I think it's going to be a fun game to watch. I'm looking forward to it. And I'll be there with you. My first time in Austin since I can't even remember. It's been so long, two years at least. Yeah, it's been a minute. It's been a minute. Now looking forward to looking forward to seeing a good number of people at the building on Saturday morning as well and into the early afternoon. Obviously, it will be a lot of fun on Saturday, and it sets up for the following week, yes, and the trip to Columbus. So we'll get into it more and recap this game, and then set up next week's big matchup at Ohio State for Oregon as well. This is James Creppy, and he is Aaron Fentress for the Oregonian and Oregon Live, the Ducks Confidential Podcast. Appreciate you for listening. Remember to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast. That way it just shows up on your phone, makes it nice and easy. Give us a rating, uh, review, etc. It really helps people find the show as well. We'll see you next week. Take care. Get vaccinated.